Now we're continuing our message, and you can follow along with me. <laughs> we're on page one at the top. We're continuing our message on the power of positive confession, which is based on Apostle Frederick Casey Price's book by that same name. Now last time I made some introductory remarks about the book and about Apostle Price and why I selected this topic. Now these remarks, as you probably saw, were not part of the written message. And many of you asked if I could review some of those remarks again, talk a little bit more about the life of Apostle Price, and include this information in the written message. So that is what I have done. You have it all written there in front of you this morning. First, Apostle Price is an example that we can follow. I pointed out in the message last time that I selected this topic of the power of positive confession in Apostle's book because in my view, it represents an excellent example of how Apostle Price learned the word, Amen. believed the word, Amen. confessed the word, Amen. and saw how, how God confirmed his word that was spoken in the Apostle's life. Those of us who were around uh, to observe saw this ourselves, and I certainly saw this. So that this book and message can become a real benefit to you, I have set out to give you the content in the book, the word from the Bible that's in the book, the ideas that Apostle discusses, and the personal experiences that the Apostle reveals in the book. And of course, when you have an opportunity, you should read the book itself. This is that book. Now, we don't necessarily promote the sales of books per se. We hope that you will be moved to buy books for your own edification. And in showing you this book today, I'm protected by serendipity in the sense that we only have maybe four or five copies uh, at, uh, at the desk. You may have that many, Pat. I have five at the hotel. Oh, oh, they're not here at the hotel. Okay, but we have more coming, so those of you who want to uh, read along with the book. But I'm going to cover the whole book, so you can listen to me and read the book, or listen to me only. <laughs> I recommend that you read the book. Well, now, in many ways, as I said before, I see this book as uh, The Power of Positive Confession as partly autobiographical. The book is descriptive in part of Apostle Price's journey that led him to become a believer and a doer of the word. You know, you have a lot of people who believe the word. <laughs> Believing is not enough. You have to do it. And you also have to confess it. It stands as a model of how we can take the word and confess this word over our life and circumstances and achieve thereby some measure of the spiritual enhancement and material uh, uh, material uh, results that happen in the apostle's life. Now, I don't see the clock going in. You haven't, you haven't started yet? Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. And apostle has seen this enrichment and growth in his life over the last 40 years. Now, again, I say the book is largely autobiographical in that it shows us part of Apostle Price's journey in applying the word of God to his life and to life's circumstances. We know that we all have free will and freedom of choice. But this is the thing. God's word in the Bible sets forth the things that are life and good. 
Dr. Price chose to believe the good and everlasting things God said about the believer's life. That's us. And how we should respond with the word to challenges and difficulties. As a result, what we see in Apostle Price is a living example of one, the word understood through the eyes of faith. That's the faith of Apostle Price. Two, the word received through diligent study. The word believed by the receiver. Again, Apostle Price. Four, the word confessed by saying and repeating the word. And five, the word manifested in a person's life as God confirmed his word that was spoken. Again, of course, that person that we're talking about is Apostle Price. That's someone we know, we can see, we can touch and relate to. Now, down through the years, you have heard many things about Apostle Price's life directly from the apostle himself. He has used his personal experiences as teachable moments down through the years to help us understand and see the reality of God's word. You know him today as the apostle, but for over 65 years, I have known him simply as Fred. Did I write that? <laughs> Wait a minute, I have to, we, I have to, uh, Joan, 65 years. I've known Apostle Price actually more than 65 years. I guess probably about 67 years. Uh, so in describing aspects of his life in this message, at times I will be referring to the apostle as Fred. And looking at Fred's life today, it's easy for observers, and I want to point this out to you, to think that he must have received some divine favor and special faith from God that made his success in ministry and in life possible. Amen. Others think that he must have come from a very religious family that gave him a good, sound spiritual foundation. Actually, none of this is true. Fred had no religious foundation growing up. His family were kind of non-practicing Jehovah's Witnesses, and Fred had essentially no contact or acquaintance with the group at all. Now, Fred's association with religion came when he married my sister Betty, a practicing Baptist who attended church every week. That was required in our household, but Betty loved, she would go whether she was required to go or not. She and I both loved to go to church. Now, they were married in this Baptist church some 65 years ago. After marriage, Fred promptly announced that he would not be going to church on Sunday anymore, <laughs> but to local baseball games, a sport he liked, and he played well. But this is an interesting and important point here. Betty did not give up her Sunday church to attend the games with him. I say this is important for this reason, and I put it in the next sentence. Wives can do much to influence their husbands if the wife is diligent and sincere in her faith, in the example that she gives. Wives should never give up on their husbands, never give up on their, on their children, never give up on members of the family. Be an example that they can follow, and you will find that some will do just that. Now, continuing with background on Apostle Price. As history would have it, a popular evangelist came to Los Angeles to conduct a tent revival. We had a lot of open land in LA at that time. And so revivalists would come, the circus would come. I'm not equating the two. The, and the revivalists would come and they would pitch tents and we would go to tent meetings. 
So at this tent meeting, Betty and I attended with an aunt, Tina Thomas. Fred decided to attend one night with Betty and Aunt Tina. And at this revival meeting, Fred was moved to respond to the altar call. He accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior that night about 64 years ago. He went to the altar counseling, set up for the respondents at the meeting site. Now, at the end of the meeting, the evangelist invited those who had responded, who had come forward, to come up and greet him. As each respondent approached the evangelist, he asked them what they expected to do with their new Christian life and in their new Christian life. Fred said, that as he, Fred said and he's told us this story before and it's been written about and you've heard it before. Fred said that as he approached the evangelist, he heard a voice over his shoulder say, you will teach my gospel. He said this was an audible voice that startled him and he turned around to see who was speaking. There was no one behind him speaking. When he came before the evangelist, Fred said, he timidly said to him, I will teach the gospel. He realized later that this was the voice of the Lord calling him to the ministry. And a short while later, Fred was indeed ordained to be a minister and a, pa a pastor of the gospel. Now, the voice he heard over his shoulder that night was evidence that Fred had indeed been called to the ministry by God. Now, I point this out because it's very important who calls you to the ministry, since your support largely rests on this. Let me explain. If God called you and gave you the vision for the ministry, it is God who will provide you with the provision. He gives you a vision, provides you with provision, the needed support. If a particular church calls you to the ministry, it's the responsibility of that church to provide support for the pastor. If you called yourself, guess what? Who's responsible for your support? You are. It's very important in terms of who calls you. Now, the next heading in this message is progress is not always in a straight line. And this is important to understand. Uh, and I'll spend a little time on it uh, today, but this is something that, that really new believers and really older Christians should understand. It might make for a good story to say that after being born again and after being called by God and after becoming an ordained minister, things went smooth sailing from this point forward in their life for Fred and Betty. But that was not the case. It was actually the opposite. Fred's spiritual journey for the next 17 years took him to and through some four different denominations where he served as an assistant pastor. Fred told us that in each of these four denominations, he had many spiritual questions that remained unanswered. He later served as pastor in two small churches, and the latter of these small churches took off like a rocket, leading to the establishment of Crenshaw Christian Center in Los Angeles. However, prior to this point, and during those 17 years of being an ordained minister of the gospel, Fred suffered one challenge after the other. Not enough money was always an issue. A lot of us can agree with that. Not finding answers to burning spiritual questions in the various denominations was also a major issue. He had questions because things just didn't add up to him, didn't make sense to him why things should be this way when uh, that much of the word that he understood said they should be 
something else, something more positive. Uh, not finding answers to burning spiritual questions in the various denominations, as I said, was a major point. Now, things reached a low point when heavy debt led Fred to file for bankruptcy. And you've heard me talk about this before, and he has talked about it. And he lost his car, most of his furnishings, and really most of all of his uh, material possessions. But an even heavier loss was suffered by Fred and Betty when their son and first child at age eight was hit and killed by an automobile as he crossed the street coming home from school. I remember how Fred and Betty forgave the driver of the car who sped through a changing yellow light. The driver was so shaken up and so remorseful that Fred and Betty felt and expressed great compassion for him. Now, there are two major takeaways from Fred's years of struggle and hardship that we can learn from. The first is, as I said, like progress in the natural, spiritual progress is not always in a straight line. It is not always smooth sailing after one becomes born again. These initial challenges often derail many Christians because they feel so great after accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior and after being born again. And they think, based on the feeling from that day and that moment, that everything is gonna be bright, everything is gonna be smooth, everything's gonna work out, and I will have the answers to everything, and I'll have everything that I need. It doesn't always happen like that. Now, in looking back, at this period of stress and distress in his life, it's been my observation that these challenges and detours were massed opportunities for growth. At each step of the way, Fred's faith was severely tested, but testing leads to what? Spiritual patience and endurance and growth. The important lesson for us is not to look at how Fred chose to go through his experiences, but rather how he chose to grow through them. And we can apply that to our life as well. Now, there are scriptures that explain the apostles' growth, and I've included some in this message. The important thing here is that nothing, meaning no thing, dimmed Fred's thirst for a deeper knowledge of the things of God. He would go to hear any teacher who he thought would provide some insight and answers. He had a thirst and a hunger in his heart for God that never left him, even in his darkest hour. But this is the important thing for all of us. God always honors this kind of diligence and devotion, and God always responds to a forgiving heart. We see this declared in several scriptures that I'm going to share with you now. Let's start with forgiveness. I mentioned how they forgave the person who mistakenly and accidentally kill their eight-year-old son. I start with forgiveness because there is supernatural power in forgiveness. And we know from the word that forgiveness is essential if we expect to be blessed and if we expect to have our prayers answered. I saw forgiveness in the hearts of Fred and Betty, and I saw how God responded over the years to their forgiving spirit. We're told in Ephesians 4:32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, and it's speaking to us, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You must learn and practice forgiveness and let go of hurts and disappointments that you have encountered in life. Letting go of the past and of hurts and perceived slights 
is a really difficult challenge for many Christians. Many times, Christian believers do not understand why they seem to be blocked in life or blocked in something that they are trying to accomplish. Or it seems that God is not responding to their prayers. The answer might be found in unforgiveness that exists in the person's heart. Now, there are many scriptures that deal with forgiveness. Here are a few that describe our need to forgive. Mark 11, 25, 26, where Jesus says this in verse 25. That's Mark 11, 25, 26. All of you know Mark 11, 24. You know, it says, believe when you ask that you receive. But you can't stop at 24. You've got to combine it with 25 and 26. It says, and whenever you stand praying, believing that you receive what you're praying for and asking for, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. Verse 26, this is Mark 11:26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If he can't forgive your trespasses, you're not likely to get your prayers answered. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. That's Colossians 3, 13. He says, bearing with one another. They're saying what, that's what we should do. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, don't beat up on them. Don't talk about them. Don't kick them out of the church or out of your group or out of your family. But even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. You must forgive. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Matthew 16, 15. The bottom of the page. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Luke 6, 36. It says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, the essence of all of these scriptures is that unforgiveness is a blessing blocker. Fred Price was obedient to the word, and his forgiveness helped pave the way for God's blessings to pour out over his life. Now, I pointed out above that after being born again, Fred had a burning thirst in his heart for a greater knowledge of the things of God. Again, God honors this thirst and devotion, and we see this in the Word. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And you know this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And in 1 Samuel, that's the first uh, book of Samuel, chapter 16, verse 7. This is a familiar scripture. As, as a matter of fact, I think Elder Ivor spoke to both of these in her opening session on the current message that she's teaching at a Bible study, and I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later. In 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 7, we see this, where God tells Samuel, and he's speaking to us as well, he says, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but, Lord, but the Lord looks at the heart. While Fred was going through his 17 years of challenge and travail and looked as if he was perishing in the outer, that all was lost, God was looking at Fred's heart. 
And I just said, going through right up above here, challenges and travails. Again, it is not how we go through things to get past them as soon as possible, but it's how we grow through them. How we grow through them, what we learn. This is what really counts. God saw in Fred's heart a burning thirst for knowledge, knowledge of him, meaning knowledge of God, and of his word, and knowledge of the purpose of the word in life circumstances. Fred knew that the word had to apply to life. That was, that was an instinctive feeling that he had. It was just not enough. It was not just a bunch of words and scriptures in the Bible. They had to have some practical meaning uh, for life. So he had this burning desire and this sincere faith and dogged persistence. Because of this, he was able to grow through the challenges and not simply go through them. Now, at the bottom of the page, we're going to speak for a minute or two on the important role of faith and the Holy Spirit. Fred's burning thirst led him to two breakthrough moments that happened fairly close together. The first was a deeper understanding of faith and the absolute necessity of faith if one is to acquire the things of God. The things of God are acquired by faith and through faith. The second was seeing the absolute imperative, the absolute necessity and importance of the Holy Spirit, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Fred had challenges here, and he writes about these. He tells of this experience of finally being able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how important it is in the believer's life in his book, The Holy Spirit, The Missing Ingredient. If you haven't read that book, it's a short book, but he describes his experience and just how important it is. And of course, you hear from all of us who teach here how important it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, added to these two breakthroughs, understanding faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit, added to this was the fact that Fred and Betty became committed tithers. They became committed sowers and givers, and they literally gave their way out of debt. They began tithing at 10% of their income when they could not make ends meet with all of the income that they were receiving at the time. But they made the commitment and they have never turned back on that commitment. Once they started, it has continued nonstop all these years. Now, this 10% of giving, as you've heard us say before, grew eventually to an astonishing 45% of all of their annual income that they give away. And they started this many years ago. Now, here are some historic periods in, Fred life, in Fred's life that I observed. And I'll tell you what these initials stand for later. BP, AP, BHS, and AHS. You could probably figure out what the last two stand for. But as I said last time, I can write and speak about these things in Fred's life because I actually observed them firsthand. I was there. I saw the challenges. I saw the changes. I saw the growth in his life. And in speaking at his 40th anniversary in ministry, I told the assembled group of ministers and congregation members, friends of the ministry, that I had known Fred since the beginning of his life as a Christian and knew him when he didn't have a pot to cook in. <laughs> I also pointed out that I knew Fred before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I had comparisons of before and after. And just like you have BC and AD, I have BP and AP. That's before the pot 
and after the pot. And I have BHS and AHS. BHS obviously is before the Holy Spirit. AHS is after the Holy Spirit. The point I want to stress here is that after being filled with the Holy Spirit, AHS, Fred's life seemed to take off like a rocket with a steady ascendance this way on an upward uh, trajectory. So after 17 years of seeking God and seeking knowledge of his word and his ways, I saw that Fred was rewarded in his ministry and in his personal life just as, and I want to emphasize, just as the scriptures promise. This was all in the scriptures. I saw this in Hebrews 11.6, which says this. This is Hebrews 11.6, and you know this scripture. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, him being God. For he who comes to God must believe that he, God, is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Fred's diligence was, I would say, unmatched by anyone that I've seen. But here's an interesting point here. It says, must believe that he is. Aren't you glad that we're not required to know that he is? You must believe that he is. That's your faith. Believe by faith that he is. Then you will come to know that he is. But now, in his diligence, Fred developed strong faith and began to walk by faith and not by sight. But in terms of his book on the power of positive confession, he began to confess or speak God's word every day. After he established Crenshaw Christian Center in Los Angeles, the church began to grow by leaps and bounds. This is after the Holy Spirit, and this is after he got a pot. <laughs> now, as Pastor Fred began, and that pastor should be in a, a capital P, as Pastor Fred began holding, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I said it went by leaps and bounds, and I'm continuing my thought there. <laughs> That leaps and bounds. What it was is that he began holding three services. And people began to line up for church as early as four, five, sometimes four o'clock in the morning. They would be out there in the dark to get into. And then when the first capacity was reached, they would wait until the next one if they didn't get in. Now, the church where they were at this time, which is, this is the original Crenshaw Christian Center on Crenshaw Boulevard. That was a fairly good-sized church. A beautiful church. I don't know if any of you have seen that building. Beautiful church. And with an overflow uh, area that they could use. It was all packed for each of these three services. And you would see people literally in the dark because they had, they had TV cameras there. I can remember this. And we had our own cameras there showing the people in the dark lined up. People were hunger, hungry for the word. Now, under Fred's leadership, the church acquired, because of the... Uh, Incredible growth acquired 32 acres of property in the heart of Los Angeles that had served as a campus of Pepperdine University. 32 acres, can you imagine it? It's one thing to hear pastors talk about, I got 32 acres on the outskirts of Georgia or in the middle of nowhere in Maryland. And so I'm not making light of this, but the point is you don't have that kind of land in Los Angeles. So Pepperdine University became available. A number of groups wanted that property and so forth. Crenshaw Christian Center under Fred's leadership got that 32 acres of property. This is when Pepperdine University moved to its Malibu campus. Shortly thereafter, the church began the construction of the world-famous Faith Dome with its capacity seating of 10,000. Ian, I don't know if you have a copy of that. You could, 
a copy of that, I mean, a, a picture that you could show. It's over there. That's the top of the faith dome. You can see from the air. You can see from when you're flying over uh, into Los Angeles International Airport. That's the faith dome. And see all those cars parked around? Those are people attending. That's the faith dome inside. And I think you have an empty shot, yeah. That's, you get a, some idea of it. When I, when this was constructed and I went to see it for the first time and, and it was empty, it looked like giant stadium. It was so huge. The capacity seating was 10,000, actually 10,000 plus seated. Uh, Crenshaw was one of the early mega churches in the nation whose membership under Fred Price grew to nearly 30,000 members. Since its foundation, and I know this number is larger because this number was true years ago, well over 75,000 individuals have been saved at Crenshaw Christian Center in Los Angeles. Now, at the same time, Fred Price launched a television ministry called Ever Increasing Faith Ministries, which reaches today millions of viewers all over the world as it did uh, when it started. Celebrating its 40th year on television this year, Ever Increasing Faith TV Ministries is one of the longest, if not the longest running, continuous religious program on television today. The program has reached tens of millions of, of individuals during its 40-year history. 25 years ago, Fred Price established the Fellowship of Inner City Word of Faith Ministries, an organization dedicated to providing fellowship, support, technical assistance to hundreds of churches around the nation and in many foreign countries. Because of its global reach, the name of the organization became the Fellowship of International Word of Faith Ministries. It became crystal clear that Fred was diligent in seeking God and that he reaped the reward for this, dis this discipline and diligence. That is why we can look to Fred's life as a modern day example of the power of the word. And we're told this in Acts and in other places in the word, in Acts 10, 34. Acts 10, 34. What are we told there? God is no respecter of person. Meaning, if God honored Fred's diligence and his obedience and his faith to the word, he will do the same for you and me if we apply diligence, <laughs> devotion, and faith to our pursuit of the things of God, the knowledge of God and his word. So Fred Price is an example that we believers can seek to imitate. We will see later where the scriptures tell us to imitate those who are faithful to the word. But I want to show you this. What I'm, what I'm showing you is through scriptures is how Fred's life and what happened is reflected in the scriptures. Top of page nine. The example we see in Fred's life stands as proof of the words Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter seven, verses seven and eight. Matthew seven, verses seven and eight, where Jesus said this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Eight, for everyone who asks receives, it says, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Fred continually asked and sought, and he continually knocked at the door of God until he learned, and I learned this, and I've shared this with you in, in previous messages, until he learned that the door to God opens inward. You see, 
It's not knocking on the door trying to get in. The door goes this way, inward. God and the Godhead, and you've heard us teach this here, reside inward within each of us. So we need to look inward. We don't need to go searching for God anywhere, in any high mountains, in any isolated spots, down at the bottom of the ocean, and so forth, or even in beautiful cathedrals or churches. We're assembled here today to study the Word of God, and we are in what we call church. But if you came here today looking for God, I've said this before, the only way God is here is if you brought him with him. If you didn't bring him with you, he's not here. God is within us, okay? Now, Fred continually asked and sought, as I said. Now, I saw the word continue to manifest in his life down through the years. When his big breakthrough came, Fred became for us a living testimony, again, to words that are found in Scripture, to James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, very familiar Scriptures. He became a living testimony to this, these Scriptures. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And this could be trials, temptations, and tests. Three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience is endurance. Four, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire or complete, lacking nothing. The greatest gift we can give to others is that of a good example. Apostle Price has spoken of how God has truly given him the desires of his heart and that he truly lacks nothing, no thing. Now, the completeness of his life is part of what he shares with us in his book, The Power of Positive Confession. We see examples of the word at work in the apostle's life that are described in other some 50-plus books that he has written. What we have in the apostle is an enduring gift of a good example. It's been said that the greatest gift that we can bestow upon others is that of a good example. We see in the word how Jesus lived and taught by example. And I taught on this. I have described this example before in several lessons, but especially in the lesson on what is a pastor. We saw the example of Jesus that he set in his obedience to the word of God, in his teaching, in his spreading the gospel of grace and peace, in his prayer life, in his self-discipline, in his sacrifice, his service to others, and in his love. I see in Apostle Price's life where he has endeavored to follow the example of Christ. Amen. Writing in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, No, I think I must have a wrong scripture there. Yeah. No, 11.1 is now faith is, isn't it? Right, okay. And you know what, I have a blank as to where that scripture really is, but you know what? This is your job to find out, because you've got the scripture here. Put the numbers to it. But I know right away that that's a typo. But anyway, Paul writes in Hebrews, he says, imitate or follow me as I also imitate Christ. 
He says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. I could say, I could say that we today can imitate and follow Apostle Price as he follows and imitates Christ. And it rhymes, follow Price as he follows Christ. If we find that he is not following Christ, we should stop following him. In his teaching, Apostle Price has always told us to check the word out for ourselves, to follow what he is saying and see if it lines up with the word uh, of God in the Bible. Amen. He says if it doesn't line up, if he's not saying what the word says, he said don't buy it. We should apply the scriptural test to any other minister or ministry that we choose to follow or to which we choose to listen. Now again, Apostle Price, I mean Apostle Paul encourages us to imitate those who are diligent in obeying the word of God and thereby receive the promises of God. I hope I got this Hebrews right. Hebrews 6, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes this. Hebrews 6, verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, he says this, and we desire that each one of you, and he's speaking to followers then, disciples then, and so on. But he's speaking to us today. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. And what he's meaning, the same diligence as I, Paul, did, and as Apostle Price did later, to the full assurance of hope until the end. Twelve, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Now, Today, we have a tremendous advantage that Apostle Price didn't have. Apostle Price has given us this enduring example, this enduring gift of faith and patience that we can imitate. But let me point out, when he, when he was going through his 17 years of challenge, after he was born again, and after he was ordained as a minister of the gospel, he did not have the advantage of the teaching of the word like we have today. And he did not readily have to him individuals that he could seek to imitate, as we do. His initial trials and tribulation in the faith led him to seek and search until he found answers for himself, where he found the key to operating in faith, the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the important key of confessing the word of God. He eventually found like-minded individuals in the faith who were helpful but this find came near the end of his 17-year period of struggle. As a result of Apostle Price's growth and experience in knowing and applying the Word of God, we have here at Crenshaw Christian Center what we call the teaching ministry of Apostle Price. This teaching ministry is based on the Word of God found in the Bible that is explained in part through Apostle Price's teaching and through his 50 plus books. But more importantly, the teaching at Crenshaw is led and inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and our guide into all truth. That's our teacher here, and we always acknowledge that. Because of Fred Price's pioneering spiritual growth and the wealth of teaching that he has provided, and because we know that we have the Holy Spirit as our helper, and where is the Holy Spirit? So we don't have to look for him. We don't have to beg and scream and stretch and reach for him. He's right there. Because of this, we do not have to struggle in our personal spiritual journey and growth 
and the knowledge of God's word as Apostle Price himself had to do. Now, we're aided by the more than 50 other books that Dr. Price has written, in addition to the power of positive confession that I'm teaching on. His seminal work on faith, how faith works, is a must read for all believers, as are his books on the Holy Spirit, including the Holy Spirit, the missing ingredient, which I mentioned earlier, and the Holy Spirit, the helper we all need. All of his books enhance the knowledge and spiritual fortitude of the believer, but in terms of personal conduct that affects our spiritual life and ultimate success and level of achievement in life, Dr. Price's book, Integrity, The Guarantee of Success, is a must read because no matter what else you do in terms of knowing the word, standing on the word, if you do not operate as a person of integrity, you can be short-circuited in what you're doing. Integrity is absolutely imperative. Now, we get to something that I call the Book of Fred, or the Book of Application. As I said last time, the power of positive confession in other books by Apostle Price is like adding a new book to the Bible that I would call the Book of Fred, the Book of Application. What we have in the Book of Fred is an example of the Word of God put to the test that is put into practice and actually applied, applied by Apostle Price. Using two scriptures, this is my take on what Fred Price did with respect to the word in the Bible. These are two scriptures that I used to describe what he did with respect to the word in the Bible. And these are scriptures that you know. First, Fred Price did what the believer is told to do in James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. James 1, James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. 21 says this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness the implanted word of God. And 22, but be doers of the word, of the word and not hearers only. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I pointed this out before. 21 says, receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. But the next scripture, which is 22, has a but to it. And as Apostle Price says, we have to always watch out for the buts. <laughs> what this means is that just don't receive the implanted word, be doers of the word. Second, Fred Price did what the believer is told to do in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21. And I gave these last time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. It simply says this, prove all things, that is, test all things, hold fast what is good. In this simple verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, the Christian believer is urged to put the word of God to the test. That is, the believer is urged to test or prove what the word says about God's love, his promises, his commands, his gifts, his exhortations, and the many other things that I covered in my recent series on why do we study the word in the Bible. In other words, those promises, those gifts, the love, and all of the things, put them to the test. That's what prove all things mean. 
And when you engage in putting them through the test in terms of life, you are proving God, meaning you are testing God, so forth. In other words, be doers of the word and apply the word to your life and the circumstances in your life and see if they're true. See if it actually is true. Fred always says, you know, put them to the test. You have nothing to lose. You're already at the bottom of the bottom, so you have nothing to lose but try them. Put them to the test. And that is what Apostle Price did. He put the word to the test, including the words from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Scripture would be very familiar with in terms of tithing. Malachi 3.10, where God says to put him to the test with respect to giving and see if he does not return to you a windows of heaven blessing on your giving. As I've already stated, Fred put tithes and offering to the test and started with 10% and literally gave himself out of debt. He and Dr. Betty now give, as I said, 25% of their annual income and the return on their giving keeps pouring in. It never stops. Now, this is an important point, this, 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 this next point I'm, I'm going to make here, and we have time to cover it. Apostle Price, Price's life shows us that we have a God of restoration. Now, uh, I didn't write a big segment on restoration because that's a message in and of itself, of two or three messages. But I hope you know that the Bible, well, let me put it this way. After the fall, which is recorded in chapter 3 in Genesis, and then 4 talks about Cain and Abel, and 5, uh, some other things that really is the beginning of God's plan and work on restoration. So after the first three of four chapters in Genesis, the rest of the Bible, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, I've said it before, you may not recall, the rest of the Bible has to do with God's plan for restoration, his plan for salvation, his plan for restoring dominion, his use of his son Jesus to bring about the restoration of dominion, the restoration of us in terms of our right standing with him. We have peace with him. This is all restoration. Salvation is restoration. Right standing is restoration. All of this is restoration. Being able to call him Abba Father, that's restoration. The whole Bible deals with restoration. So I didn't try to, to, to do this. I gave you a few scriptures here on restoration, but I want you to know this, and I'll, I'll come back and teach on this uh, at another point. But among other things, I can give you scriptures where restoration is restored. God promised us to restore our health in Jeremiah 30, 17. David is speaking here in Psalm 51:12 when he says to God, restore the joy of your salvation. That's what Apostle Price was looking for when, in his searching. When he was born again, he had such great joy, and he was looking for a restoration of the joy of the Father's salvation and so forth, which sort of got dissipated with all those problems initially. He will restore the years that were wasted, the years the swarming locust has eaten. That's Joel chapter 2, verse 25. He'll restore the lost years, the wasted years. Apostle Price had 17 years 
By the way, I'm not going to say those uh, wasted because he was growing in those years. He was learning and so forth. But if you have a period in your life that you consider a dormant stage of growth in your life where nothing happened for years, God can restore the years that were eaten by the enemy and so forth. It's good to know that. And he can restore and will restore all that you lost or all that was taken from you. We see this in the story of Job. Job chapter 42. This is at the end of Job chapter 42, verse 10. There it is up on the board. Fred began, this is the important thing, Fred began to confess, that is say, these promises of restoration on a regular part, as, as a regular part of his daily prayers and affirmation. I know I pointed out to you how he began confessing that my knees are met, all of my knees are met by God. I'm rich, I'm rich. All my, and, the, and the two girls, there was only Angela and Cheryl over there, they were looking at him like he was crazy because things in the house needed repairing, uh, they needed new drapes, they needed all kinds of things that, that they would never, apostle would never have let those go undone. But what they realized is that if they wanted to get out of debt, they had to stop spending. And so that's the other thing. I, that was in a message that I gave. I know you remember that message, that one of the things you do when you want to get out of debt is stop spending, so forth. So he confessed these restaurants. He said, God is going to restore all the things that are going to be taken from me. Father, you promised to restore all the things that, uh, that were taken from me. And as years passed, I personally witnessed all the losses Fred suffered being added back to him. All of his material loss, including money, were restored in a super abundant manner, above and beyond anything that you can think or ask was restored. You remember his car had been repossessed when practically everything in this house had been repossessed when he was in his bankrupt position. But look at this, on their own, and I was part of it, kept it a secret. Crenshaw Christian Center Church members raised money and surprised Fred with a Rolls Royce on one of his birthdays. I would call that pretty good restoration of his car. But listen to this, later, a single member of Crenshaw who had gained wealth under Fred's teaching, and I know him personally, paid cash in the amount of some $350,000 to buy Apostle Price a Bentley. I would call that restoration super abundantly and above. In another confession, and you've probably heard him mention this, I heard him confess this, Another confession, he would make this statement. It's an affirmation or confession or statement he would make throughout the years. He made it for years, by the way. He says, one day someone is going to give me a million dollars. And he said that, he didn't say it every day. He didn't get up and start service by saying that. But he, he, he would repeat this periodically. And guess what? One day, a successful business owner and member of Crenshaw presented Fred Price with a check for a million dollars. But he didn't stop there. He gave him another check covering the amount of taxes that would be due on a million dollars so the apostle would end up with a solid million dollars. Now that's abundantly above anything that you can think or ask and so forth. So Fred had indeed experienced what Job had experienced as we see recorded in the words of Job chapter 42 verses 10, which says this, Job 42 verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses 
Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. But there was one more major restoration left for Fred and Betty that they were not even thinking about at this time. They had, they had been confessing that God was going to restore to them the things that had been taken away from them. At 46, Betty became pregnant. And you've heard Cheryl talk about this story. <laughs> that, that she came uh, nervously, she said, and closed the door, and she said to the girl, I'm pregnant. <laughs> well, Fred said, I mean, uh, Cheryl, they said, well, what's the, what's the problem? We know who the father is. <laughs> <laughs> Betty was 46, Fred was 51. But this is the thing he says. This is in his candid testimony. They didn't do anything different that they hadn't been doing for years. But she became pregnant. During this pregnancy, well-known faith teacher and prophet Kenneth Hagin ministered at Crenshaw, and he prophesied that the baby would be a boy, and that this boy would help Fred in the ministry. Now, Fred received the prophecy. I remember this. He received the prophecy, uh, but he wondered to himself how and when a new baby could help him in the ministry as he would be in his 70s when the baby came of age. But you know that the birth of Fred Price Jr., really Fred Price IV, and I'm going to have to double check this and make sure it's not the third because that was Fred, and there was the first Fred who was killed. So he's either the third or the fourth. I think he's the fourth. Now, it's my family. I should know better, but, <laughs> but I'll correct this if it's, if, it, if it's the third or not. I think he's the fourth. We call him Junior just to separate him from uh, Apostle Price. He was the restoration of the loss of Fred and Betty's eight-year-old son, Frederick. That's restoration. History has already proven that this young boy would be of great service to his father in the ministry and to the whole body of Christ as he assumed the position of pastor of Crenshaw Christian Center. As you all know, Pastor Fred Price Jr. is already a renowned and accomplished young minister of the gospel. Personally, and I tell him this all the time, and he just smiles, I think Pastor Fred Price Jr. is in a class by himself yes. in terms of teaching the gospel today. Uh, someone asked Fred, we were talking about this at the table uh, some time ago, uh, one of the members said to Fred Price one day, you know, Pastor Fred is a chip off the old block. He needs a chip off of him. An apostle response, and I love it, he says, he's the whole block. <laughs> now, our last point we're going to discuss today is, what does it mean to be an apostle? We know Frederick Casey Price as Apostle Price today. I'm going to return to Fred Price's experience when he responded to the altar call in that tent revival meeting some 64 years ago. Remember Fred heard a voice over his shoulder saying, you will teach my gospel. He turned, looked around, and there was no one there. As I pointed out, he later realized that this was actually the voice of the Lord telling him and calling him to the ministry to teach his gospel, to be a teacher of the gospel. This is some of the clear evidence that was used in the decision by the Fellowship of International World of Faith Ministries to name Dr. Price an apostle. One of the main conditions or qualifications to be a biblical apostle, and L.I. was discussing this 
in her Thursday series on a closer look at 12 ordinary men. Talks about what it takes to be an apostle. And it, I just reduce it simply to this. To be an apostle, you have to have been sent on a mission by God with a message, a message from God. Fred Price's experience some 64 years ago stood as evidence that he was sent by God, that voice speaking over his shoulder, to carry the message of the gospel. The further evidence was Dr. Price's actual work for over 30 years. It's really over 40 years in spreading the gospel of Christ around the nation and around the world. The millions of people reached, impacted, and saved, and the hundreds of churches founded, established, or aided by Dr. Price was evidence of the apostolic, the apostolic work, the apostolic work of Dr. Fred Price. Now, as I said, Eliva Johnson is currently doing an exciting series, Thursday Night Bible Study, and you should all come to listen to this. It is absolutely enlightening, Thursday Night Bible Study, on a closer look at 12 ordinary men. And you can probably figure out that this is a study of the 12 men Jesus selected as his original 12 apostles, the men who would carry out the healing and teaching ministry of his gospel. And Ella Ivor points out that all of these ordinary apostles were indeed, I mean, all of these apostles were indeed ordinary men. You remember fishermen? One was a tax collector. You, and you, you, you know the background of some of them, and so on. They were ordinary men that Jesus tapped to carry out the vital work of the ministry. When you know and understand the background of Fred Price, and I've given you some of it today, not, not everything, you will readily see that he too was an ordinary man. But when you put your hand in the hands of God, this is what as believers you need to know this and do. When you put your hand in the hands of God, as Fred Price and the original apostles did, God can equip the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Because you're not working on your own steam. You're working with the steam of God, which is inexhaustible, not measurable in terms of strength. Now, as Ella Ivers beginning to reveal in her series, many of the original 12 did in fact do extraordinary things. You remember they could cast out demons, they could heal the sick, they could do all kinds of things and so forth. Now I submit that the ordinary man we have come to know as Apostle Frederick K.C. Price has achieved in our lifetime that's what's important because it's in our lifetime that we can see, know, and relate to some extraordinary things. We're not reading about somebody 2,000 years ago. We're reading about somebody who is here today, who founded this ministry here, who has come and taught us in person, and has taught many of us through the television, medium, and so forth, that he has achieved extraordinary things. By his life and in his teachings and writings, Apostle Price shows us how he did it, and how we can do it. Because what he's interested in is sharing how you can do the same. God is no respecter of persons. That is why I'm teaching from his book, The Power Positive Confession, which is, in my opinion, a how-to-do-it manual. And we'll pick up and continue this message on The Power Positive Confession next week.